0: hello listeners and welcome back to the scent of a hummingbird this is episode eight and we have a very interesting guest by the name of cody crockett whom is a business partner of mine a friend a brother and a descendant of somebody that's also a pioneer and so what i'll do As a welcome gift to Dr. Crockett, here is give him the opportunity to talk about his lineage. And what I would love to hear, and I think the listeners would love to hear as well, are what, who is it? First off, give us some background. And second, uh, tell us some things that have lived in the Crockett like family tradition that you still utilize to this day?
1: Matthew, brother, thank you for having me. And what an interesting way to start the conversation. As you (laughs) mentioned, my name is Cody Crockett and with the last name of Crockett, you may have guessed that I have relations to Davy Crockett, the legend that went from Tennessee to fight for the Alamo and died, lost his life, fighting for freedom. So tracing back the family tree from what I hear from other family members is that I would be the seventh generation nephew from Davy Crockett. So with that, there's uh, growing up as a Crockett, the family really embraces the concept of what it means to uh, be free, to be interested in, say, like homesteading being independent. And so growing up that way, my family's very much into hunting, shooting guns, freedom, preserving freedoms, and yeah, preserving liberty as a whole. So that theme has been present my whole life. I'm a very, um, shall I say also passionate about freedom and preserving our freedoms, freedoms of speech, freedoms of our choice, what we get to do with our bodies. And I really think that's really important to preserve this liberty. So, uh, yeah, that's a little bit around uh, when it comes to the uh, the descendancy or the relation to the Crockett bloodline
2: and
0: how that's... Cool. Well, great. We'll circle back to that because that was high level. And let's, let's dive into your career as a doctor of physical therapy. And I'd love to hear some reflections on uh, the early stages and you, I know you've traveled around and, and done some some cool things, you know working in different types of physical therapy settings and environments. Um, I would love for you to share some takeaways from all of these experiences, you know, how you've learned, you know, and kind of evolved your practice throughout these experiences and, you know, if there's like golden nuggets that you've picked up along the way, I think these can be beneficial for the weirdos that listen to this podcast.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I got tons of golden nuggets. (laughs) So the, uh, I took an interesting path, you know, so I graduated from the University of Finley in Ohio and I graduated with degrees in strength and conditioning, health studies, and also the doctorate in physical therapy. From there, I decided to travel as a physical therapist across the United States going from Ohio to Texas, Colorado, New Mexico, and spent a lot of time in the Southwest. So I got to work with a variety of different populations and in the physical therapy world, you can work in a variety of different sets and settings from cardiac acute care, ICU to
2: neurological rehab, working with spinal cord injuries, brain injuries amputations, worked very closely
1: with active duty military, also doing wound care. And that's something that not many people think PT does, but we actually do wound care. And uh, that's something that not my favorite thing to work on, but it came with lessons as well. So as a whole, just getting to travel from different parts of the country and now traveling up to where I am currently in Alaska, I've gotten to work with these are varieties of different populations, which I've gotten to see how they live differently in different parts of the country. And just seeing how, as I've gotten to work with, say, Native Americans and Alaska Eskimo populations to see how they live differently than how more of the modern, highly domesticated uh, parts of our culture that live in, say, like the bigger cities getting to see that difference between those
2: that live in the cities versus those that are living closer in nature and having that cultivation of that natural environment in their life actually plays a massive role in their health, mentally, physically,
1: emotionally, and I would even say spiritually. So getting to see how there's this vast difference between people All living in the same country, but just living differently in different parts of the country and how that all can impact these different aspects of our health. So it's been really interesting to work with all these different kinds of people in different sets, settings, and also being able to offer my skills, um, the different knowledge that I have to actually help them improve their health. So it's been a very cool way to work and to practice and to interact with people. And uh, it's been a good way to grow myself along the way as well.
0: Yeah, it's almost like uh, while you're serving, you know, people with the education and knowledge and experience that you pick up along the way, they get to serve you back, you know, by, you know, kind of sharing their experience, sharing who they are, how they got to whatever type of reason that they're coming to see you and you get to be open enough to, you know, learn from all of those. That's quite cool. Um, one thing that I heard you say is the word spirituality. So I'll dive right into that. Um, you know, in utilizing spirituality in a physical therapy kind of setting, like Maybe you're not directly saying, hey, like this is going to be a part of, you know, your rehabilitation process. Maybe you are, but I'm curious in your experience um, how the healing process goes with somebody who is not, you know, necessarily like uh, in tune with what spirituality means to them. Versus somebody who is tapped in, maybe out outdoors a little bit more, or maybe just does have a sense of, you know, spirituality and um, like, what is the difference in how that person can heal whatever the injury might be?
1: I've never been asked that question before. That's a really good
2: Mm. question. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there is a very, important role that spirituality can play in the healing process. And the first thing that comes up is the role that spirituality plays is very much tied to a person, person's awareness level of self-awareness of where they are and their place in the universe. Those people that have a greater connection with themselves, God, the universe, the spirit, and having a greater connection or level of spiritual awareness will actually help them to have a different perspective when they're going through a healing process. Going through an injury, a catastrophic event that can leave people disfigured, injured, and and losing a level of their identity can be very traumatic. And when somebody has that level of spiritual awareness and spiritual connection, that in a way gives them a foundation to stick to. And when it's higher power that they can rely on or have faith in, then in doing so, that gives them more of an optimistic outlook. And when they have an optimistic outlook, their level of energy is higher. They're focused on what's going well. They're focused on more of the positive aspects of life. And those people tend to heal and have better recovery rates than those people that, say, don't have a spiritual condition or they have a lower level of spiritual awareness, those people that have, or they lack a level of spiritual awareness or awareness within themselves, they tend to be more pessimistic and they tend to be more, um, I guess, more cynical or jaded or in a way they, they look at life in a different way where they may not see how positively they can live their life and so when somebody can tune into a greater power a greater source of energy and have faith or have trust or belief in something that's greater and have that level of just lead. certain out how a person's um, identity, their beliefs, the stories they tell themselves and how that impacts their results, whether that's recovery from injury or whether that's just growing as a person in life.
0: Man, that is, this is a really fun exploration of a topic and it's cool to, you know, approach this in, I, I would say like like a scientific approach to, to spirituality. And I think the the screen is kind of glitching because we're, we have so much bandwidth right now. <laughs> um, but what I invite for the listeners to consider, and, and Cody, I'll ask, um, you know, kind of your definition too, but how I define spirituality, and you heard Cody say it, is essentially a connection to your center, which is really a connection to everything, to God, if you want to call it God, to the universe. And having that connection, as you also heard Cody say, it gives you this sense of faith. You can kind of trust and have faith that, you know, you're going through and dealing with maybe an injury, or whatever the case might be in life, I mean, we could relate this to all things in life. Um, That's what I encourage the listeners to consider as spirituality. Do you have anything that you would like to add to that definition, Cody? I think you nailed it.
1: I would say something to add to that would be with spirituality. It's like you said, putting your trust or your faith in a greater power. And what that does is that allows you to be able to focus on what you can control and whatever you cannot control, you lift up to the higher power. So that's a way to create this sort of um, way that you can control what you can. And then also release your attachment from trying to control the things you cannot ch- change and just having the trust that faith that everything's going to work out with it.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's, you know, universal. I, I, have talked spirituality on some of my podcasts prior, and it's a it's a topic of interest, but it's also something that Cody and I both practice on a daily basis. And it doesn't necessarily have to, just to also clarify this for the listener, it doesn't have to necessarily be um, when you think spirituality, you think religion. I know that I'll have some listeners that I think those two things are kind of intertwined, And in, on the scent of a hummingbird, spirituality is not, it can be, but it doesn't have to be tied in with religion. If you get your sense of spirituality through your religion, then more power to you. I, I have no problems with that. I think that that's incredible. And I'm happy for you truly. Um, okay, cool. I think, uh, this is, a fun road to travel down, uh, with a former traveling physical therapist. Um, all right, let's, let's talk into, um, let's talk into some of the military folk that you've helped out. And what are some of the, what are some of the blockages or issues, um, let alone from, you know, probably some pretty crazy physical injuries, but, in your observation throughout the years, are there some things that, you know, you've kind of seen, um, with those guys that maybe help them get through healing or maybe hurt them get through healing? I'm curious to hear your take on this.
1: Yeah. It's interesting with the military. I've always appreciate working with the military. I've worked with the active duty, all branches, air force, Navy, army, special forces as well. And also working with the vets. So from, you know, your new initiates in the military, all the way up to guys in their 90s that have been, you know, wars long ago. So the thing that I really appreciate about the military is the mindset. The mindset is so different because they understand that you give an order and then you execute the order. There's no complaining. There's no, you know, being in your feelings, allowing, oh, I don't feel like doing this, so I'm not going to do it. You don't have to deal with as much of that BS of people coming up with excuses. So that's something that number one, I appreciate about the military. And it's different between different levels of the military too. It's like some of your more newbies in the military, they may not be as invested, they may be more new, and they may not have that mindset as if somebody that's say in um, special forces, that's a ranger or something, you know, but something that's unanimous. So all across the board is that mindset of just getting the things done, embracing the suck, executing. So that's the biggest thing that I've seen. And this, you know, whether male, whether it's female, it's all very much the same mindset of, I'm here to take orders. You tell me what to do. They understand that there's say like, because in the military they have the ranking they have the different levels and so with that there's that hierarchy that you report to and as a physical therapist when somebody's coming into the clinic or however wherever I'm treating them they're coming in as the person seeking help so I'm already in the position of authority so what's cool is in the military is when I'll have someone come in they understand that you know, I'm here to give them direction, to give them order on how to actually proceed, to actually move through and heal the injury. So that's something that I've noticed. Is The biggest thing is the mindset.
0: Do you uh, recognize that they can heal faster?
1: Yeah, so it's really interesting with the military because they're essentially an athlete. Anybody that's like in active duty, there's a standard of physical performance that they must meet. And so with that, I look at the military as their athletes. So anybody that's taking care of themselves, that's more fit, that's active. There's requirements on being able to run within a certain period of time to be able to do different distances, different levels of physical performance. And when somebody maintains a higher baseline of physical health, conditioning performance, they're naturally going to heal better. So what's cool about the military is I get to use some of the tools that are a little bit more advanced, such as say blood flow restriction, where we get to do occlusion training of restricting blood flow, essentially putting a tourniquet on the arm or the leg. And really, it can be really painful, but also really effective at healing through injury. So that's, what's been cool has been able to use those sort of tools like blood flow restriction and use it on the military because they have a higher tolerance and understanding that if this is going to get them results faster, let's do it, whatever it's going to take. So they're more apt to endure the pain and want to push through it because they have a different baseline, a different threshold for what they're used to. And that's why it's important for us to all do difficult things to intentionally challenge ourselves in a controlled way. This is why going to the gym is so important when we can control, when we can challenge ourselves in a controlled environment, intentionally, it's a way that we can subject ourselves to stimulus that are challenging, that are uncomfortable, that are going to push us. And when we can overcome these challenges, obstacles in a controlled way that then raises the threshold at what we think is difficult. So when you're used to doing difficult things, when you're used to pushing your body and being uncomfortable, well,
2: now, you know, you have this certainty within yourself that you've been able to do
1: difficult things in the past. So now you know that you can ch- you can overcome this challenge. You can weather the storm that you can push through. And so when you do those difficult things, it allows you to have a different perspective, a different baseline for what you think is difficult. And so with the military, they tend to be challenged more. And so I can push them more rather than somebody that has never gone to the gym in their life and that doesn't do any physical exercise that's overweight. And that is unable to walk to the bathroom without getting out of breath. That can't even get themselves up off the ground. Their baseline for what they think is difficult is going to be vastly different. Than somebody that's going to the gym consistently or going out on long hikes and pushing your body so i think it's very important that we do push ourselves physically and it doesn't mean you need to join the military but whether that's going for a walk or going to the gym doing something that's difficult so that you can build up that confidence and have that higher
0: threshold before you fatigue and before you decide to give up Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And it's kind of a universal truth, like whether you're in the military, and you've been trained to have a mindset that can help you heal in a physical therapy setting, you know, at a faster rate, or, you know, there's, there's obviously a ton of the population that has their own set of circumstances that are not military. And the principle that you're that you're saying holds true for everybody, you know, if it is that maybe overweight person, That has, you know, a different set of challenges, the importance of challenging and, you know, upping that threshold that you called it is the way to growth. Talk about, uh, talk about neuroplasticity and talk about, uh, if you've kind of used the term with your patients or clients and, um, even just give the listeners like what, what it is and what your understanding of it is and how you kind of utilize it cuz you're kind of talking about it you know essentially yeah so neuropl-
1: neuroplasticity is if we break down what the word neuroplasticity means neuro is referring to nerves and plastic or plasticity is referring to plastic something that's moldable adaptable and so neuroplasticity is this concept that nerves are adaptable they're malleable. We can modify and the body can adapt. And a perfect example would be somebody that has a stroke. Say somebody has a stroke, blood clot to the brain and it blocks off blood flow for a period of time. What may happen is that part of the brain can become impacted where there's part of the brain cells that were blocked for that period of time die. And for that initial period, there can be this lack of ability to control an arm or a leg. But over time, the brain, as you train the body to do that movement and to adapt and to progress through recovery process, what will happen is the brain will adapt. Different parts of the brain will then start to make up for that part that had died. And so those cells can adapt, they can change and they can pick up the slack for some of the nerves that aren't any longer functioning. So neuroplasticity is a way that the body will adapt based off of how we train it. So over time, and even our thought processes, the way that we think, if we continually think certain thoughts, we're going to wire those pathways together. We're going to reinforce those thought patterns. We can change our thought patterns and because our thoughts are plastic, our beliefs are plastic, we can rewire our brain through changing our thoughts. It can also work to our detriment in that the thoughts that we continually think again and again, if these are negative thoughts, we program the mind to reward those negative thoughts. The mind likes what's familiar. And so if thinking negative thoughts is familiar, then it's gonna continue to associate Thinking negative thoughts as what it's supposed to do because that's what's familiar. So that's a step further from neuroplasticity, but this idea of neuroplasticity in different ways. We can use it in how we train our body for it, whether it's performance. If you want to train your body specifically to be a better handball athlete. There's certain exercises that you're going to do that are directly tied to that sport. And so somebody that maybe you had started, I'm not saying this is what you did, but say somebody started as a endurance runner, and they're very much a slow twitch type one fiber athlete where they're very slow fiber dominant. They're endurance they're They can change their body to become more of a high intensity, a more explosive athlete type based off of the the way that they train. So our bodies are plastic, our minds, our nerves. We can change the way that our bodies are built based off the, the stimulus that we give our bodies.
0: Okay, so what we've discussed here already is spirituality We've discussed mindset and the military mindset. We've related kind of that to, you know, the the common people mindset as well and some challenges and some, you know, things that everybody faces. And we've brought that to the concept of neuroplasticity and we got Dr. Crockett's scientific uh, explanation and definition of neuroplasticity and also his understanding which is beautiful. And what I get to sit here and gather as the host is that understanding that you can change and adapt your nerves is something that is more possible. And this is the next part of the dialogue that we get to explore together. My argument or my stance is that in changing these nerves with a sense of spirituality with a deepened faith. I believe and have seen firsthand on my own body and on people that I've worked with that the healing process or the building of new nerves, the creating of a new type of a mindset the, the speed in which that is possible is vastly improved, but talk to that point a bit. What
1: first comes up for me is the concept of the brain and heart coherence and how when we think positive thoughts and we think what we want to attract and we focus on what we want, when we put that out there and we visualize what we want and we feel in our body, positive feelings that come with that, what can happen is the brain and the heart can sync together. And what that does is that puts the body into a deeper state of healing. It puts the body into a deeper state of relaxation, of peace, which is ultimately a higher level of consciousness. It's a higher vibration. When somebody can be in a state of, say, acceptance, peace, relaxation, what that does is that allows the nervous system to calm down. It puts the body into more of a state of parasympathetic, where it's more of that rest, digest, recover sort of state. And so when we can find that state of relaxation and when we can think positive thoughts in that state of relaxation, this can help to heal and to facilitate processes that are going to help heal faster, heal more effectively. Think of it like this. If you're in a state of stress, a state of fight or flight, or you're frantic, you're in a state of anxiety, what that does is that increases your heart rate, that releases stress hormones in the body, that's putting the body into a state of scarcity, of
2: fear, and a state of scarcity and fear is a state that's going to be difficult
1: to heal in. In order to heal, in order to grow, in order to evolve and to level yourself up. You want to focus on
2: positive things, focus on what you want to attract and do that in a way where you can be peace. You can be relaxed. You can have, you can put your
1: body and your mind into a state that they can work together, work in coherence to actually lead you towards what you want, whether that's healing whether that's
2: success, relationship, achieving goals athletically, whatever that
1: looks like, it's really important that we all take a step back from time to time to create space within our mind and within our body to just feel expansive, to feel peace. And when we can do that, we put our mind and our body into that state. That's where they can actually work together and start to lead us more towards what we want rather than keeping us stuck in a state of fear, anxiety, scarcity, worry, which
2: so many people are stuck in nowadays. If we can break out of that and
1: take the space, take the time to create space within ourselves, within our mind, and to intentionally think and focus on things that we want, that's where the magic happens.
0: You know, it it brings up the, uh, I, I don't know if it's a Paul Check quote or if he got it from some other ancient form of wisdom, but it's, it's that quote that says the longest journey one will ever take is from their, their brain to their heart. And I think it's beautiful to have this dialogue and, you know, take kind of these concepts that I have seen for a lot of people, you know, it's like either science or it's, you know, spirit, it's, Science or art. And what I intend for the listener to take away is that it gets to be both. It gets to be a beautiful intertwine of the understanding that if like you just said, if you think positively, if you believe, if you have faith, then down to the the science of neuroplasticity and being able to rewire the nerves in your body, which is you know, in your, in your body, in your physical body, these things are possible. So my intention is for the listener to understand that the more faith that you have, the more you train to think positively, not only can you heal yourself of a physical injury, but you can create yourself an entirely new mindset and and an entirely new, you know, kind of growth Approach to life, and so this is—it's fun to have this conversation with you, Doctor Crockett. I—I I didn't have any plan for this podcast, <laughs> and so I, I'm glad that we we can talk about these deep, universal truths that we both care about. But I want to dive into one specific thing. I'm glad you actually used the the stroke victim, and I have history of strokes in my family, um, for a variety of reasons that we don't need to get into the weeds with. But, um, so, you know, a stroke victim, they then typically lose, you know, left side or a side, but it's typically the left side, right? It depends. It depends
1: on what part of the brain.
0: So just for the example's sake, uh, I think my pap, my dad's dad lost his left side. And, you know, in his case, he worked in the steel mines, you know, was very blue collar, um, you know, very, uh, we could call left brain, logical thinker. Um, you know, I, I don't know or recall, um, you know, how much of a sense of like, uh, spirituality or, or faith that he had. But my question to you is in a case like this, uh, how would you, uh, consider kind of prescribing, um, him to, you know, potentially create some new nerves to, to heal?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And it very much, it's based off of his current, what level he was at. So it depends on, you know, not only the acuity of how close to actual event it happened versus like how much further down the road it was, was it months, years, etc. So the timeline's important, the degree of occlusion and the time of occlusion, those are all important factors that would then play a role into determining exactly like what would be the best protocol for him to follow in that situation to get the best results. So, so I'd have to speak more and just like kind of like, blanket statements on strategies of how someone would work through that. And so what's important with say like a a stroke, for example, is to consider different ways of treating, uh, not only the affected side, say if it was a left side that was paralyzed, we want to treat the left side, but we also want to treat the right side. And the reason is because there's this overlap in how the body communicates from the left side and the right side. And so if the left side is paralyzed and you do movements with the right side, what that's going to do is that's going to teach the left side that this is the way you're supposed to move. This is the way that you're supposed to be functioning. And so that can help to re-educate the brain on these foundational movement patterns that we need just for basic function. So that's one aspect of just training the opposite side can be helpful and also getting weight through the extremities. Say, for example, um somebody's paralyzed on the left side, with the assistance of a couple therapists, getting that person, say, on their hands and their knees or their elbows and their knees, getting them into that quadruped position where they can load their body, load the joints in a way where it's more of the functional primal movements that we go through as we develop as children. So kind of taking a step back to some of those foundational movements of crawling, of just getting down and getting up and working on those movements. That's where we can tap into the deeper parts of the brain to re-educate the nerves, the muscles on doing these functional movement patterns again. So those are some of the strategies there when it comes to how we would progress with somebody that has like a brain injury. Um, another thing to consider is say, uh, managing inflammation, because there can be a high degree of inflammation, especially whether it's a stroke or a traumatic brain injury uh, right now, I'm, I work a lot with traumatic brain injuries and we're doing oxygen training where we're using a high concentration of oxygen and we're doing intervals of high concentrations of oxygen with low concentrations of oxygen. So we're taking somebody that we're putting them at say 90 something percent oxygen concentration. And then what we'll do is we'll drop them down to say a very low concentration that you may see at like 20,000, 25,000 feet. So using oxygen, hyperbaric oxygen can be a great way to reduce inflammation and help to heal the body as a whole as well. So there's. All kinds of different strategies. Also, there's light modulation uh, using the red light, the blue light, different light therapies, uh, pulsed electromagnetic frequencies. There's many different modalities that can all work together to help create more positive electrofields, electromagnetic fields around the body, and to facilitate more positive healing. So, there's really a mm. lot that we could
0: do. Mm, that's a lot of uh, great information for the listeners. Uh, talk to your understanding on, uh, the hemispheres of the brain and kind of like the functionality of each side of the brain.
1: Yeah. So the, so like you said earlier, the left side tends to be more of the, the logical rational where you're doing more like calculative sort of, um, skills, processes of the mind. And then on the right side, it tends to be more of the creative centers more of the expressive, um, those sort of activities. So there's as a whole, that's kind of like generally how they're described. And then between those two hemispheres, there's what's called the corpus callosum. And that corpus callosum is that connecting factor between the left and the right brain. So it's really important that we, we, we utilize both sides of the brain that we're using both of those to our ability. And it's not like we intentionally decide, like, okay, I'm gonna do this math problem, so I better turn on the left side of my brain. You know, oh, I'm gonna do this artistic project, so I'll make sure my right side of my brain's really primed for creativity today. We don't really think of it like that, but just understanding that yeah, it's like, we have these aspects of creativity, we also have these aspects of just like calculations, processes. So we need both of them and they both work together and you can see that depending on say like brain injuries, strokes, um, someone hits their head on a certain part, you may see that their ability to use some of those processes may be more challenging or like somebody hits the back of their head where it's more of the occipital part of the brain where it's more tied to their vision. They may have some visual changes.
0: Mm. So back to the stroke example, now that we've laid that groundwork, um, with my pap and being, you know, that he was kind of a left brain dominant person, um, would it make sense to, uh, you know, amongst, or in addition to all of the kind of modalities that you talk through with, a you know, with a stroke victim or patient, I guess, I don't know. Victim is the right word there, but patient. Would it make sense to potentially add a prescription for, you know, something simple that is more of a right-brained activity, like, like drawing or, you know, singing or painting or something of that nature? Like, is this, is this a common practice or is this something that, um, you know, you've used or, or thought about?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting concept of, looking at, okay, if the stroke was on the right side of the brain, then we want to focus on more of the right side of the brain processes. That's really interesting. Uh, I think the way that typically I approach it, and I think many uh, practitioners approach it is to look at what the deficits are. So does he have deficits and say, does he have deficits in say creativity, is that causing a problem to the degree that it is pathological and that it's impacting his ability to perform on a daily basis? So I would look at it as like, what is the deficit? So like if somebody hits or has a stroke in the back of their head and they have visual changes or a visual impact, then focusing on those deficits and really treating that. So I think that's really the way that I tend to approach things is identify what the deficits are and then specifically targeting activities that are going to provide solutions for those deficits.
0: Mm, yeah, that makes sense. That's uh Goodness, that um, is quite the approach to life in general. Whether we're we're talking about a stroke or you know just serving other humans, like let's let's figure out where the deficits are. Stroke
1: metaphor is great for life.
0: Sheesh, man, how, what a what a blessing on a Friday. Um, cool. Where do we go from here, dude? <laughs> We've already. debunked everything.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll say this. So there's something that came up earlier in regards to the mindset. I see Mm -hmm. something that is a big problem with many people is in regards to mindset. So many people are focused on what they want to avoid. They'll use words like, I don't want this to happen. I really want to avoid this. And they're so focused on what they want to avoid that they actually manifest and then attract what they want to avoid, what they don't want to happen is what happens. And there's a, there's a reason for that is because even if your mind is thinking about what you want to avoid, if you're so obsessed with, I want to avoid, I want to avoid a car accident. I want to avoid a car accident. I'm so focused on avoiding a car accident. Well, you're now telling your brain it's hearing car accident, car accident, car accident, car accident. Nonstop, it's getting this input where it's focusing on this car accident. The subconscious mind doesn't pick up on these negations of avoidance. It doesn't matter if you say, don't do this. I'm not going to do this, or I want to avoid this. Your subconscious mind isn't picking that up. The subconscious mind is only getting that, that information. It's not getting the context of not don't didn't. It's not getting that context. It's only getting that input of car accident. And so I really encourage people to focus on what you want. So even if it's more challenging and it takes more time to take a step back to think through, how can I frame this in a positive way? Instead of, I want to avoid a car accident. I don't want a car accident. Instead of thinking of it like that, you can change that to more of a positive frame. You can change it to, I want to get to work safely. I like to drive and be
2: safe when I drive. I want to travel and be safe when I arrive to my destination. So focusing more on the positive aspects and
1: framing it more in a positive way, that way you're attracting what you want instead of attracting what you don't want. And this is a big problem that I see all across the board is people are focused on what they want to avoid or what they don't want. And ultimately when somebody does that, that's what they manifest is what they don't want to happen.
0: Mm, Yeah. God, that's such a useful golden nugget there for the listeners. For sure. Um, I see that often, you know, myself through my experience. I don't think that Davy Crockett, when he was fighting for freedom, was like, man, I don't want to die. I don't want to die.
2: <laughs> no, he, uh,
1: the one of the, the last famous quotes that he, when he left from Tennessee to go to Texas was, he said, you may all go to hell and I shall go to Texas. And then he went to Texas <laughs> and he fought all the way up until the end. He fought for freedom. He fought for the sovereignty of Texas. And even at the end of <laughs> the Even at the end, when they had him cornered and they were going to take him down, one of the last things he said is he said, this is your final chance to surrender. So right (laughs) up to the end, he was trying to get them to to surrender. (laughs) They had him caught, and he was still offering them the opportunities to surrender. So he never gave up. He persisted till the end. And I think that's something that we can all learn from is just being determined, having a goal, focusing on what you want. And then persisting with that, never giving up.
0: Mm, the truths live on and through his descendants and his descendants' tribes and communities. Great. Thank you, Davey. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you,
2: Uncle
0: Davey. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, there's like a million things that we could discuss, but I feel like this was pretty um action-packed. There's a lot of value. Um, for everybody that we went through all the concepts of, you know, the mindset to healing, to uh, spirituality at the beginning, tying spirituality into neuroplasticity, using the stroke example and turning it into how to, how to kind of handle your whole life, find the deficits and problems and address those. Um, You know, that's, that's kind of what we do here on the scent of a hummingbird. So Dr. Crockett, I'll leave you with one final question here. What is it that comes up for you when you think about the scent of a hummingbird? Hmm. When I think of the scent of a hummingbird, what comes up for me is a very colorful
1: bird moving very fast but also very slow and peaceful at the same time the smell i'm sure is probably more of a floral a summertime smell and i'd like to meet the hummingbird i think we could be friends
0: (laughs) yeah that's interesting the hummingbird goes fast and slow all at the same time Hmm. We'll leave uh, everybody to be perplexed with that interesting thought. Uh, Okay, well, everybody, thanks for tuning in. And what I will do is leave all of Dr. Crockett's information in the show notes. He has his own website and his own company called Primal Prescriptions, which you should all check out. I know that he just dropped his men's aesthetic program called The Map. And I will plug it for him here on my podcast. Um, it is a phenomenally well-rounded program. And if you're looking to build your aesthetic in quite the holistic way, uh, this is a great program for you. You've heard Cody talk about his vast amount of experience. And he has packed his life life's worth of experience into this program for men, what what is your target age range, Cody?
1: I'd say between 18, 45 years old, 18 to 45.
0: 18 to 45, there is invaluable information all throughout all of the modules in the program, let alone some workout regiments and things that will benefit all of you. So take a peek into that. I'll drop a link in the show notes for that. You can find Cody on Instagram and Facebook. I'll, I'll drop all that shit in there too. And um, yeah, I think that pretty much covers our basis. Uh, if you want some bio-optimizers, they're a sponsor. So I'll drop my discount code in there. Uh, I love bio-optimizers. They're amazing. Their products have helped me optimize my life. Uh, also, strong coffee is coming in here uh, <laughs> into my world and I'll drop my I'll drop my code into the show notes for you there. They have some phenomenal flavors and phenomenal products that are organic and from the earth that we should all be utilizing. So thank you all for tuning in. I love you all and I'll see you next time on The Scent of a Hummingbird. Peace and love.